I'm Kat. <laughs> I'm Aileen. <laughs> and I'm Carly. And this is Murder, Mystery, and Mac and Cheese. Cue intro. and cheese today <laughs> i was trying to think about what our intro music sounds like and i was like why can't i remember it's like boom 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 <laughs> it's got bells and then it's i can't remember either shit look what i have that's how it goes <laughs> All right, Carly, what you got there? Oh, I have mac and cheese today. Uh, unlike last week, where I had cheesy broccoli. Um, so I just picked up the frozen bank. Um, what is it? Banquet? Yeah, banquet box. First of all, it was a dollar seventy nine. Huh. compared to like the other ones and, and my grocery store doesn't have like many frozen ones so I was right. like trying to look at like all of them and I saw that like Amy's was like 575 or something like that for like this tiny box and then this box was a dollar 79 and it was double the amount and I was like awesome Ooh. my add-ins this is going to be bomb so with my add-ins which are I added in um, Munster cheese. You add in crack. Listen, I don't like cocaine. I just like the smell of it. Oh, okay. There's a difference, I guess. There's a difference. So I added in Munster cheese, Mexican blend, and some cheddar. And also added in, I also added in a little bit of Italian um, breadcrumbs. Mm. And here's the first taste. Ready? Wow. Let's yeah. see. Let's I'm ready. See All right. This time I actually didn't eat the whole bowl before we started to record. There you go. <laughs> so I'm proud of myself. Impressive. If you hear aggressive popping noises, it's me popping bubble wrap because I have no self-control. <laughs> All right. So this is pretty good. It's, it's, a, it's a basic. Even with my add-ins, it's still pretty basic. I think for $1.79 pretty good <laughs> that's fair yeah dollar 79 right and it's a really good amount so uh really i have mac easy. and cheese today too i have just went the classic craft mm. um except that i got the frozen two version so Ooh. the noodles are in the shape of little anna's elsa that's amazing <laughs> except it's Cute. kind of hard to tell which they're shape is which? Because, like, they're in noodle form. Correct. You can tell which one is Olaf just because it looks totally different than Human Anna and Elsa. Face. But yeah. yeah, but you know, it's classic. It's craft. You can't go wrong. Correct. See, I have a box of craft mac and cheese in unicorn shapes. Mm. I was gonna make it today Ooh. and then I started not feeling so good. So I was like, I'm just gonna eat some chips and guac and that'll be my that'll be my food for the day. 
So I have at least an excuse for not having mac and cheese. I'm not actually a slacker. I just don't think it would settle good in my stomach today. Oh, well, I would agree with that. Very valid. Despite that, though, I still chugged an iced coffee this morning. So that <laughs> definitely wasn't the smartest choice. But I can't live without coffee. So um, we I actually mean, feel me, worse if you didn't. Yeah, it's yesterday. Really I was going to so say that wildly addicted to caffeine. It's. I mean, the withdrawals that you get when you don't have a lick of caffeine is insane and it's horrible. Yeah. So I was going to say that because yesterday I kind of woke up feeling a similar way. Like I wasn't like, I didn't wake up feeling gross, but like kind of as the morning went on, I like kind of got a little dizzy. Yep. And I was like, I either am dehydrated, which is probably what I am because I never drink enough water. Same. Tired, which was also a possibility because I woke up at like seven. And then, or I haven't had coffee yet. <laughs> Fair enough. And so then I like went to my mom's house and I had coffee there. And then I magically felt better. So I was yep. like, well, I know that was caffeine withdrawals. <laughs> um, and then you have me who goes to Starbucks and gets a large decaf cappuccino. Yeah, because cat be knows how I am. Shit if I for drink. me. Listen, we all need to just either get really high on caffeine because yes, that's basically what happens when you have a lot of it. You're just like you get the shakes and you're like, no. Nah. We all need to either get really, really drunk or really, really caffeine high and do an episode because, wow, man, I would hit me right in the giggle dick. Um, the other thing I'm on board for the drunk one. Yeah, I have a lot of wine in my fridge, so I could just need to pick something not too, uh, not too intense. Yeah. The other thing I was going to say on the caffeine topic is we went to Dunkin' Donuts, but there's this place next door. It's called Curry Donuts and they have really good donuts. Like Mm. I, I got like a dozen of them and nice. One of them was a cherry donut. And it was like cherry flavored. It was just glazed, plain donut, cherry flavored. And it was delicious. It sounds really good. Oh, damn. Yeah. Sean had a Boston cream. I had a chocolate, a double chocolate frosted one. Like, they're good. Good donuts. Uh, also probably shouldn't have had that much sugar today. But when have I ever done anything conducive to my own health? Never. I'm stupid. It is what it is. Boston cream is my favorite kind of donut by far. So good. Are you going out the front door or are you going in the back? Why? That's what she said. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Alien, I hate oh, you. That yeah. was such a good one. It was. Um, <laughs> that was so good. That was so good. I've got to go. My Uber's here. <laughs> no. As Ash from Morbid would say. <laughs> She tried to snag Sean's donut this morning. It was hilarious. <sighs> Any Anything else, crackheady, that we want to talk about before we get started? I don't think so. I went on a nice date. Oh, that's true. Oh, you right. Did. right. Right, right, right. Okay, we don't have to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> that's not really crackheady. I just decided it actually went well. <laughs> yeah. I decided for you that it went well. Yeah, me too. <laughs> All right. Are you ready to find out what we're talking about today? Oh, yes. So we're going to be talking about the Lizzie Borden case and house. Yes. Yeah. So I told Sean what we were doing this week. 
I told him, I was like, we're doing the Lizzie Borden. And I said, do you, have you heard, like, have you heard the whole thing? Like, do you know what the case is all about? And all that kind of stuff. And he goes, oh, I mean, yeah, but no. And I'm like, do you know that it is in Fall River, Massachusetts? And he goes, Fall River. Fall River. It's, it's, this is a pretty fairly well-known case, a fairly well-known haunt. And I mean, as I grew up in Massachusetts, it's always been a source of fascination for me. That's probably some of where my morbid curiosity came from. One of many different things. But anyway, so have you guys heard the the little poem or the little song that goes along with this? Oh, yes. Well, for those of you that don't know, it's Lizzie Borden took an axe, gave her mother 40 wax when she saw what she had done, gave her father 41. In my notes, I put a little emoticon smiley face because usually that tries to convey the uncomfortable slash unsettling uh, faith. (laughs) But while that is fairly accurate, the numbers are not accurate. She did not actually whack her parents 40 times with a hatchet. But, you know, it's for the morbidly curious and the people who are very, very into like horror stories like this. So. It's weird to think about how many people actually know that, like, I don't want to call it a nursery rhyme, but it, you it's know a what I mean? It's a nursery rhyme. It rhymes. A, a little, a little of, jingle. If you do it in a song way, it's just even more unsettling. Yes. But uh, so many people know it. I mean, I don't remember the last time. I mean, the first time that I heard it. No, like, I I've known either. it for, like, ever. And to be completely honest with you, I'm pretty sure my mom told me about this. My mom, too. Oh. <laughs> like, mother, like- <laughs> You set me on the path of very morbid true crime curiosity. So you I love you, but like oops. <laughs> so yeah, while the while the rhyme does have its claws in reality a little bit, it's not entirely accurate, but it is creepy and fun and that's how people kind of know of um this case. But before we get to the spooky yuki part of it, there's a lot of like history and information about this case before we even get to the creepy part of the house. So let's start with the early life and family life of one Lizzie Borden. Her full name was not actually Elizabeth, surprisingly enough. So Lizzie Andrew Borden was born on July 19th. Sorry, did you say Andrew? Yep. Her middle name is Andrew. Yes. Okay. That was already (laughs) a choice. Lizzie, full first name, Andrew, Andrew. middle name. Yep. Set her up for failure. For sure. She was born, you're not wrong. Uh, She was born (laughs) July 19th of 1860. So she was a Cancer. That's her zodiac sign. I'm very weirdly fascinated with zodiac signs lately, which is, it's fine. It's fine. In Fall River, Massachusetts, to her mother, Sarah Anthony Morris, and father, Andrew Jackson Borden. Really not a big fan of the fact that her father's name was Andrew Jackson Borden, because Andrew Jackson was a cunt and we hate him. So, I was going to say, if we dial it back a second, her mom's name is Sarah Anthony. Mm-hmm. Is this where they got the Lizzie Andrew type thing? Probably. What's up with the boy names? Which is fine. I mean, name There's your kid whatever you want. That. It's your choice. It's but kind of bad. I just, I wouldn't, I wouldn't choose it. I would not, I would not. I wouldn't that. either, but I really don't hate the choice of like doing the, the stereotypically male name as a middle name. Cause I think that's kind of dope honestly especially like you know if your daughter's name is like Tyler you you know like something like that anyway I digress Lizzie was actually the youngest of three daughters but the middle child actually died in infancy so for this whole story it's her and her older sister 
and we'll get into that as well. So her father, Andrew, was of English and Welsh descent and actually grew up in a very modest lifestyle. He and his family, when he was a young man, struggled financially, which later on would encourage him to really find wealth and it explains who he was as a person later on. He did end up finding success as a manufacturer of furniture and caskets, which is actually fairly morbid considering what's happened to him later in life, but he did move along and become a successful property developer, which is where he eventually found his his wealth and his uh, fortune. So a list of his, you know, accolades were that he was a director of several textile mills and he also owned quite a lot of commercial property. He he boasted the title of president of the Union Savings Bank as well as the director of the Durfee Safe Deposit and Trust Co. So he had a lot of things going for him in a lot of different ways that money was coming in. So this is crazy, but at the time of his death, his estate was valued at three hundred thousand dollars. In 2019, that was the equivalent of $9 million. Wow. Yes. Whoa. So he really did find his way and come from very modest, modest living to rich, rich dude. But unfortunately, he was known as a very frugal man, which, sir, so you he was have a, a fortune. Yes. Yeah. He was a cheapo. Imagine Andrew Borden is the equivalent of Mr. Krabs in SpongeBob. <laughs> Except, unfortunately, he's not a crab, and he does not live. Definitely, he's not a crab. <laughs> uh, I don't get that analogy because I've never seen SpongeBob. It's on Amazon Prime if you want to watch. Oh it. right, um, Aileen, you're like the only person in the world. I know I we were myself. really a we were a much more Disney Channel centric family than Nickelodeon family. Like I Listen. haven't seen a lot of like the Nickelodeon cartoons. We grew up on both honestly uh so it's you know it's fine i can't breathe out of my right nostril right now it's, it's rather that's irritating un- that's that sucks yeah get some flow nays my good dude have you guys ever seen that tiktok that says that like when you breathe you're actually only ever at a specific time breathing out of one nostril yep oh, and it makes that. me really uncomfortable what? Like, if you hold your finger, like, right under your nose and, like, breathe in and out, oh like, the God, air only comes right. out of, air only comes out of one side. I hate that. I hate that I know this. Aileen, why? <laughs> like, it's only coming out of this nostril right now, but apparently at various points during the day, it switches. Yeah. That makes I don't sense. know. I saw it on TikTok and I was like, I am you uncomfortable. Know when you, you know when you, like, blow your nose? Yeah. A lot of the time, it only comes out of one at any given point. For yeah, me. I really hate I it. I don't like I'm that. Now I have the info in my brain and it will never leave me. I'm sorry. No, you're not. Um, may I continue? Yes. Sorry. Okay. So no. <laughs> you're fine. Andrew was a frugal man. So the, the Borden family became known for being a wealthy and affluent family, but his home did not have indoor plumbing, even though it had become a common occurrence in wealthy family homes. They lived in an area of um, Fall River known as the Hill, and that's where the wealthiest and most affluent families lived. So they lived in the rich area, but did not have But didn't plumbing. have the amenities of a wealthy home. Yeah. Interesting. Yes. So during her adolescence, Lizzie attended the Morgan Street School, which was close to her home in the local high school. Her older sister was named Emma Lenora Borden. Throughout their life, they were brought up 
fairly religious and they attended the central congregational church lizzie actually was very involved and very immer immersed in church activities and she actually was a fairly decent person she taught sunday school to immigrant children who had just come to the country so i mean she did a lot of really good things for other people <clears throat> so sarah emma and lizzie's birth mother real mother died in 1863 lizzie was three years old young so she really didn't know her mother for long three years after the, her death sarah's death andrew married abby durfee gray and at first the girls both emma and lizzie called her mother but then later on, when things started getting more tense, they called her Mrs. Borden. And really only had Ugh. a cordial relationship from then on. Eek. So not great. And Lizzie held strong in the belief that Abby only married Andrew for his money. And like, honestly, fair enough. Because listen, sugar daddy. Okay. Because I was going to say, I respect the hustle. I do too. And especially since like it was 1863 or 66 or something like that. And women didn't have a lot going for them at that time. So Correct. <laughs> get it's a your very bad valid girl. Point. Get your bad girl, you know? Okay. So the Borden family had a 25-year-old Irish immigrant live-in maid named Bridget Sullivan. And they actually called her Maggie for some reason. I don't know if maybe it was just for social reasons or it's just a common thing or if it was just, I don't know. They called her Maggie. So from here on out, I will either refer to her as Sullivan or Maggie because... That's how they referred to her. But her real name is Bridget. Like my sister-in-law. Hi, Bridget. So um, later, later down the road, Maggie testified that Lizzie and Emma very rarely ate meals with their parents. Valid. Yeah, I, I mean, I wouldn't either if I only really had a cordial relationship with my stepmother and my very frugal kind of jerk-ass father. Right. So like, I feel it. So this kind of speaks to Andrew's sort of personality he was not a very great person and not a lot of people liked him which kind of you know fair may of 1892 so this is actually recent like close to the murders close to when the murders happened andrew allegedly killed multiple pigeons that were in the barn with a hatchet uh with the, hmm. with the belief that we're, they were attracting local kids to hunt them and unfortunately, poor Lizzie had actually built a roost for them in the barn so that they could stay there and was really upset over this, which oh boy. fair enough, because, you know, if you're going to put in the time to make a nice little home for these birds. And he just goes and like, hey, whacks them all. Yeah, honestly, I'd be mad, too. Jesus. So at the time in 1892, Lizzie was actually 32. So grown ass woman. I'm a 32 year old lady. <laughs> And from what I saw, Emma was 10 years older than her. So at the time, Emma was 42. So they were she old. She was still like yeah. living with the parents and wasn't married and everything? Correct. <clears throat> Interesting. Old maid. Oh, okay. Jesus. So July of 1892, they had a family argument that resulted in Emma and Lizzie to take extended vacations, quote unquote, to New Bedford, just get away, which honestly, I would too, if I was fighting so badly with my parents, and I was just like, hey, fuck you, bye. Is that in Massachusetts as well? Yeah. Bedford? New Bedford, yep. It is indeed. Oh, New Bedford. Yes. So, you know, honestly, same. I would do the same thing. I'd be like, hey, I'm out. See ya. So they ended up returning to Fall River one week before the murders occurred. Yikes. And when they got back, Lizzie actually chose to stay in a local rooming house for four days before actually going back to the family home. So, of course, as I've been saying, there was a lot of 
tension within the family for months before the murders occurred. And one of the main sources of this was that Andrew would be frequently gifting real estate and money to various members of Abby's family. And Lizzie and Emma did not appreciate this because they didn't they did get along with their stepmother. Right. Okay, so remember their birth mother, Sarah, her maiden name was Morse. And so the night before the murders, her brother, so their uncle, John Vinica Morse, had been invited to stay at the home to discuss just business with Andrew because manly men in this manly men's world, <laughs> whatever. So that, so the whole timeline of all of this is really important. And especially with like, who's been in the house and who's staying there and who's living there and that kind of thing, because it comes into play when they're giving their testimony at the um, inquest and the trial And this place. So the next point make, plays a big part too. So several, several, I can't speak English words. Scheiße. That was German for shit. Cool. Several days before the murder. <laughs> that was my like mom, in um, Toy Story 3 where uh, Buzz just randomly goes Spanish. I love that part. That makes me laugh so hard. My mom will say shysta every so often. I'm like, mother, you're saying a dirty word. <laughs> Anywho, several days before the murders, the entire household got violently ill. And a family friend later said that there was mutton that was left on the stove to be used over several days, which very easily could have been the reason because don't leave meat out because it will go bad. But Abby was a little bit more suspicious and she was worried that it had actually been poisoning. Abby's the stepmom, right? Yes. Sarah was the birth mother who died in 1863. And then Abby is the stepmother and she plays it. She's one of the victims later on. Andrew was not a popular dude for good reason. He was kind of she, a twat. I can't imagine why. <laughs> <laughs> he was kind of a twat. And if you look at his picture, you'll be like, mm, typical white dude in the 1800s. That makes a lot of sense. Oh, So this kind of plays into the next point kind of plays into um, like theories later on. But Lizzie actually had a problem with stealing and she was a known kleptomaniac around town. So if they ever went into like shops, the shopkeepers would actually have to check to make sure that all their inventory was still there and, and make sure that nothing had been taken after she had left. If stuff was taken, they would bill Andrew for the shit that Lizzie took. Oh, Jesus. Yes. Oh, snap. It kind of plays into like who she kind of was, but we'll get into like theories and stuff later on. Another point to that is in 1891, Abby's jewelry, jewelry box had been like looked through, which caused Andrew to buy locks for their bedroom door to keep Lizzie out. Makes sense, right? Now brings us to the crime. It's very brutal, actually. So just be ready and don't vomit everywhere. August 4th. Can I finish my cookie first? No. <laughs> I don't want my cookie to be spoiled by the murder. August 4th, 1892. So remember John Morris, their maternal uncle, had arrived the evening of August 3rd and slept in the guest room. Okay, so that's kind of important. Breakfast the next morning, breakfast the day of the murders. Andrew, Abby, Lizzie, John, and Maggie were all there. And then later, Andrew and John went off to the sitting room where they talked for about an hour. Around 8.48 a.m., John left the house, according to accounts, to buy a pair of oxen and to 
visit another niece of his in Fall River, and he had plans to return to the Borden house for lunch at noon. Andrew went on his typical morning walk around 9 a.m. So in a lot of articles that I read, it was noted that Lizzie and Emma had, you know, regular chores. They're living at home. They have shit to take care of. And one of their chores was to clean the guest room. But Abby still went upstairs between 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. to make the bed in the guest room. According to the forensic investigation after the murders, Abby had faced her attacker at the time, but she was struck on the side of the head with a hatchet, which cut her right above her ear. And because of the impact of this hit, it caused her to turn and fall face down to the floor, which in turn caused facial contusions on her nose and forehead. <clears throat> and then she was struck multiple times, adding up to around 17 or 18 direct hits to the back of her head, which killed her. Okay. Wow. Yeah, it's a lot. Oh boy. So actually, this is the point where I would like to share the um, some of the photos that I found we can uh, of the people and people we are talking about, but also a couple of the crime scene photos. So so this is uh, Lizzie. So that's Lizzie. That was Andrew. Mm. Yeah, don't like him. He reminds Mm -hmm. me of someone. And I can't put my finger on it. Yeah, I, I don't know. This is Maggie. This is the maid, Bridget. Sullivan. Okay. Okay. This is Abby. Okay. Yeah, she's fairly young for marrying an old geezer like Andrew. Anywho, <laughs> I digress. This is Emma. Okay. Hmm, okay. She looks like the actor that plays George O'Malley in Grey's Anatomy. Mm. I know who you're talking about. I don't watch that, but my sister. Do does. you? Do you know? I know I, who you're talking you know about. I mean? yeah. yeah. This is John Morris, the uncle. He's kind of creepy looking, but a blanket. Yeah, right. Okay, so then this is Abby, crime scene photo. So you can see she fell on her face, just right where she was after getting struck with the hatchet. And then here's the back end of it. So it's a lot. And then that's Abby, <laughs> crime scene uh, photo. It's the back of her head. Oh my God. Yeah. So kind of fucked up. So Abby was just killed 17 to 18 hits to the back of her head. I showed you the um, photos, the crime scene photos and her autopsy. So at this point, Andrew had returned to the house around 10:30 AM and he actually had to knock on the door because his key had actually failed to open it. Maggie went to go open it, but she noticed that it was actually jammed. She would later testify. So Maggie would later testify to hearing Lizzie laughing right after this not recalling having seen her at the time but she did remember hearing that the laughter was coming from the top of the stairs oh that's so creepy yes this is an important note so keep in mind that this is what maggie actually testified to so she told this story on the stand it's important because abby had already been dead she was already dead at the time and just how the house was set up, she would her body would have been visible to anybody on the second floor. Late, Lizzie actually later denied being upstairs at all and testified that her father, Andrew, had asked about Abby's whereabouts and had told him that Abby had actually received a summons to visit a sick friend. So she would not have been in the house at the time, So, as per what Lizzie had said. 
Also part of her testimony, Lizzie recalled that she had helped Andrew once he was inside the house and like settling in to remove his boots and into his slippers before he went to lay down on the sofa for a nap. But this is contradictory because in Andrew's crime scene photos, he is wearing his boots. Oh. So already mm. Lizzie is off to not a good start. So let Sorry. me show you. So we saw Abby's crime scene photos. Let me show you Andrew's real quick because you will see clearly that he is, yes, indeed wearing his boots. And actually, I will also show you their skulls. We'll get into like autopsy information later. But so there's Andrew. You can clearly see you can clearly see he's wearing his boots there. Right. Yeah. So that's not so already Lizzie is is not telling the truth. And, the, and here's their skulls. This The Abbey's is on the right. Andrew's is on the left. Yikes. Yes. So a lot of damage was done there. You have to be oh, so... Shit. So that, in today's standards, and, you know, based on all the fucking criminal minds that I watch, I just... This is overkill, obviously. This is somebody who knew them and was taking out their rage on them. Just anybody who is remotely interested in true crime and stuff like this knows that that's overkill right and overkill again is generally somebody who has a lot of rage or a lot of anger or a lot of really strong heavy emotions that they are taking out on this person Mm -hmm. so you know bashing somebody so hard with a hatchet in the head that it breaks their skull like that it's just a little Mm. bit of overkill you know agreed Mm -hmm. just Uh, a little just a lotl. Just a lotl. <laughs> so at this point, you know, Andrew is taking a nap. Abby is dead upstairs. Lizzie then testified that she told Maggie of a department store sale and let Maggie go. But Maggie actually contradicted this story as well, saying that she felt sick. You remember the house had been very, very ill before. And so she was still kind of recovering from this and went to take a nap instead. And her room was actually up in the attic where generally like the servant's room was. So she went upstairs to take a nap. She testified that she was in her third floor bedroom, relaxing after cleaning windows when around 11, 10 a.m. I think they said it was a little before that, around 11, 08, 11, 10 a.m. She heard Lizzie call from downstairs. And she heard Lizzie say, quote, Maggie, come quick. Father's dead. Somebody came in and killed him. At this point, Andrew had been found slumped on a couch in the sitting room, having been struck 10 to 11 times with a hatchet-like weapon. So they assume it was a hatchet. And again, you see, when I showed you, you saw his uh, crime scene photo. Here's one. I'm going to show you again. It's a little bit up more up close and a little bit more detailed to it so you can clearly see where he was struck in the head jangled horrible like gross like it's gross and it's sad but also like jesus christ so there's that so that was uh that was a lot and actually according to the autopsy one of his eyeballs so i believe it was his left eye had been cleanly split in half suggesting that he had been asleep during the attack um shit And, you know, as a lot of forensics will, forensic scientists will generally tell you, if 
you've been attacked or stabbed or any of this sort of you know, violence against a person and they are no longer alive, if the wounds are bleeding still after they have died, it generally indicates that it was a recent attack because obviously the blood is still flowing. Mm -hmm. So his wounds actually were still bleeding, so it suggested a very recent attack. They, the, the Borden family actually had a family physician named Dr. Bowen. He lived, I believe, either across the street or down the street, very close to the Borden house, um, was called to examine Andrew and Abby, and he did determine on scene that they were both deceased. After the police were involved, the detectives estimated that Andrew's death was around 11 a.m. And this leads us to the investigation. Officers obviously ask questions because you can't deny that this was a brutal murder on both counts. They noticed that Lizzie's answers were strange and contradictory. Classic. As we know. <sighs> First thing she said was she reported hearing a groan or a scraping noise or a distress call before even entering the house. Two hours later, she changed her story and said that she heard nothing before entering the house and didn't even realize anything was wrong at the time. And with that story, she had asked Maggie and a neighbor to go check to see if Abby had come back from that social call to her sick friend, which we know was actually not true. So Maggie and the neighbor went upstairs to find Abby Borden lying on the guest room floor. The officers who interviewed Lizzie actually really did not like the attitude that she had. <laughs> um, she came off as too calm and too poised, mm. which fair. Okay. That's, that's a fair point. But this also, on the other hand, as I play devil's advocate here, it's a traumatic thing that has happened in your own house. So you can't entirely judge a person's guilt or innocence based on how they act during an interrogation because right shock everybody handles trauma differently and you don't know so that was just something i noted because this is the 1890s and generally speaking you know when it came to crimes like this people tended to be on the lighter side with women just because we're the fairer sex but vom but, I mean, being too calm and too poised doesn't indicate guilt by any means. So, no. I don't know. That's just kind of me thinking thinking out loud here. So, in the end, they determined that Lizzie offered up two separate stories. The first one, she said that after Andrew and Maggie had gone to take their respective naps, she went to the barn to find iron or tin to fix the door that had gotten stuck, but ended up staying in the loft for 30 minutes eating pears. Mm-hmm. I mean, okay. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> the police were skeptical of this story because when they went to go look in the barn, generally, I mean, you know, there's going to be dust. There's going to be like hay and there's going to be stuff, you know, hanging around on the floor. And there were no footprints in the dust in the loft. Mm. Fair enough. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The second story that she eventually gave was Lizzie said that when she got back to the house, there was nothing unusual, seemingly. But then she saw the body of her father. Afterwards, she sent Maggie and their neighbor to go find Abby, who Lizzie claimed was in town, going to visit that friend. But we know at this point that Abby had been killed before Andrew. So clearly that was not a true story. Right. Now, police also said 
that they thought that perhaps Lizzie's contradictory statements were affected by the amount of tranquilizers she had been taking during this inquest, which was actually, I believe, based on what I found, was actually fairly true. She had been taking morphine. She'd been taking morphine to calm her nerves, which, you know what? Fair enough. If my parents were murdered in a very brutal way, I would also probably want some drugs to keep me calm. <laughs> So, I mean, you can't really fault her for that. Yeah. So they thought maybe she was contradicting herself because she was on tranquilizers, but that doesn't necessarily mean anything specific. Right. Personally, at least that's my opinion. Um, obviously, this case happened over 100 years ago, so we really can't speak to the details of it, be, aside from what has been thoroughly recorded. Right. And what we know and what historians have found. So I can't really speak to the itty bitty little intricate details like that. But this is just based on what I saw in different articles and stuff. Anyway, so despite all of this and despite all of her shifting alibis and stories, nobody even bothered to check her or her clothes for blood stains. Ah, oh, jeez. Yeah, they did check her room, but it was just a cursory inspection. And when they were on the stand, they admitted to not actually doing a thorough investigation because Borden said she was not feeling well. Gentlemen, two people were hacked to a gory death. He really didn't think to check the whole fucking house. <laughs> Knowing that there are people in the house that could have committed this. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> now, I know forensic investigation and detective work has obviously changed right. since this time. But you would think... That if it's such a death has occurred, you would look for blood, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and obviously they were criticized for this. And a lot of people said that they actually generally botched this investigation because they didn't check everything thoroughly, which fair enough. So during their cursory search, they did find in, I believe it was the basement or the barn i can't remember i think it was the basement but they found two hatchets two axes and a hatchet head with a broken handle mm. that's, that's right? not suspicious they you know came to the conclusion or they generally suspected that the hatchet head was the murder weapon because the handles break was fresh and new they also noticed which impressive that they did pick up on this that ash and dust that had been on the hatchet head was deliberately applied so that to make it look like it hadn't been used recently in comparison to the other weapons that were still already there that's actually that's really interesting yeah and you know that's decent detective work for the time too so like mm -hmm. you kind of have to credit them for that because it's pretty i mean sometimes you know it's pretty obvious when something has been there and is dusty or something has been removed and then put back and then like for whatever reason something more dust was dumped on it on purpose like it i don't know that's just that's just how my brain works maybe it's just all the criminal minds i've watched but <laughs> unfortunately i would never think um if i was the one that was putting the hatchet back i don't think i would have thought to, to put like more dust put, on it put more dust on top i know right Unfortunately, none of the tools were removed from the house for further investigation. Mm, sounds about right. That's sus. I know. Okay, so this is kind of gross, but fascinating at the same time. The household, so as I mentioned before, the house had been struck down with some weird 
illness probably some sort of food poisoning or whatever they removed the family's milk to test it and they actually tested abby and andrew's stomachs for poison they actually performed the autopsies in the warden's dining room and removed Ew. their stomachs to test them for poison my literally just says, in their house yep my 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 notes after this say emoticon smiley face very uncomfortable yum <laughs> that's all Ew. i can say yeah so another point that got brought up during the inquest in the investigation is that lizzie had bought this acid called hydrocyanic acid and it was called something else that they listed in the articles as well so it was claimed that she actually bought this acid in a diluted form from a local drugstore in her defense in her own defense she said that this is this was purchased so that she could clean her furs medical examiners later testified that it didn't have any antiseptic properties to it so that wouldn't have made any sense mm. yeah so the board and sisters Very suspicious. right the board and sisters actually had a friend named alice russell and this comes into play later because alice decided to stay with them the night after the murder while their uncle john morris spent the night in the attic guest room okay on the night of august 4th so after all the murders occurred after you know police and doctors and medical examiners had been in there they were stationed around the house for i guess investigative purposes uh it didn't specifically state why maybe for protection maybe for just anyway an officer stated that he saw Borden and Russell enter the cellar with a kerosene lamp and a slot pail, but he also stated that he saw them leave and then saw Borden alone bent over a sink sus. August 5th of 1892, John Morris left the house and was actually mobbed by hundreds of people and he had to be escorted back to the house. Yikes. Because he's so that's important because he was just in and around the area at the time, and this comes into play later. August 6th. Police did a more thorough search of the house two days after the murders while people have been tramping in and out and doing all this fun stuff. They inspected the sisters' clothes and they ended up taking the hatchet head with the broken handle. That same evening, a police officer and the mayor visited the Bordens and officially informed Lizzie that she was a suspect in the murders. Mm. The next morning, their friend Alice Russell came into the kitchen and noticed that lizzie had been tearing up a dress lizzie explained that she was planning to burn it because it was covered in paint now of course this leads to the theories that she was trying to cover up the clothes that she wore during the murder but it was never really formally determined that it was the actual dress that she wore but it was important to note that she was spotted burning a dress and tearing it into pieces hello hi <laughs> Are you gonna lay down or are you gonna be oh. angry hello so this is the start of the inquest and the trial and from what i looked into an inquest is basically kind of the pre-trial investigations kind of figuring out what the facts are before they bring it to trial so that they have their case and they know what they're gonna bring and put on the stand and all that kind of stuff like that so anyway to start this off andrew borden died without a will so his estate went to Lizzie and Emma, not Abby's heirs. Mm -hmm. Yes. It actually said somewhere that because they figured that Abby died first, her estate went to Andrew and then Andrew died and then their combined estate went to the girls. So oh, money, got money, it. Okay. money. Yep. So, so if he had been killed first, 
Abby's estate would have gone to her heirs and like her family and Andrew's would have gone to the girls only but since it was combined due to the interesting uh, yes I know right so on August 8th Lizzie appeared at the inquest hearing and again this is just to get the facts and get like the stories straight so they can go to trial and officially like you know find someone guilty or not and determine who's at fault or but you know you do understand so obviously this is a different time in terms of like the judicial system so she requested for a family attorney to be there but it was actually her request was actually refused which is wildly illegal now so she didn't even have a lawyer no she had so in the actual trial she had like defense attorneys but she didn't have her family lawyer present at the questioning and inquest Mm. which is sus but it was 1892 so true so this was refused under a state statute that said that an inquest had to be held in private it's a fucking weird time man i don't (laughs) so like i said before she had been prescribed regular doses of morphine to calm her nerves so they did suspect that maybe her testimony was going to be affected by this she had erratic behavior refused to answer questions she contradicted herself a lot she gave alternating accounts of the morning in question at first she said she had been so this changes again from what i've been saying before she eventually said that she was reading a magazine in the kitchen when her father arrived home and then changed it to say that she was doing ironing in the dining room and then said she actually came down the stairs when her father came home so none of that even lines up remotely and it just kept shifting so <laughs> ma'am get your story fucking i literally straight. like can't even keep track of all of the different things i know said. Well, so she was in the barn and then she was doing ironing and then she was trying to fix the door like Ma'am, please. You couldn't ma'am. have been ironing and fixing the door and eating pears in the barn and reading upstairs a newspaper and, and upstairs. No, ma'am. No, ma'am. At the same time. <laughs> like, does she not think that that's a little sketchy? No. Like, if you're going to pick a story, stick to it. So the district attorney actually was very aggressive and confrontational. And they only had circumstantial evidence, really. But from my search, I know you guys probably know what circumstantial evidence is, but it's defined as evidence that tends to prove a fact by proving events or circumstances and afford a basis for reasonable inference of the occurrence or the crime at hand. So no physical evidence, like no DNA, no blood, no dress, no actual proof, but the circumstances basically aligned so well that it only makes sense that so-and-so did this or Mm so-and-so did this. So that's just kind of what the definition of circumstantial evidence is because this whole case is generally, aside from the hatchet head, was generally circumstantial. Right. They didn't have any other like physical proof of anything. No. So August 11th of 1892, Lizzie Borden is officially arrested for the murder of her father, Andrew, and her stepmother, Abby, in Fall River, Massachusetts. And actually, so the inquest testimony brought a lot of debate about her guilt or innocence, especially in the media. Just, you know, newspapers, because Twitter wasn't a thing yet. Uh, (laughs) And actually, the inquest testimony was ruled inadmissible during her trial in 1893. Ooh. Yes. So I I didn't see exactly why I did. The judge ended up throwing out a lot of shit because it was inadmissible. So that kind of turned it in a certain way. Yeah. Um, But the newspapers and media reported that Borden possessed a stolid demeanor and, quote, bit her lips, flushed, 
and bent towards attorney Adams. Tore. So kind of, Just kidding. yeah, it kind of made it out to seem like she was being all flirty and carefree and ooh, like, and it was also reported that the testimony from the inquest had quote, caused a change of opinion among her friends who have strong, who have heretofore strongly maintained her innocence. So basically what that means is what statements were provided during the inquest switched their, uh, her friends' opinions of her. So they originally were like, no, she's innocent. She couldn't have done this. But then the inquest came out and they're like, oh. They're like, damn, you're right. Mm-hmm. So, ah, shit. Yeah, so the inquest. So again, the inquest is just like getting the story down and getting all the facts of the case before they bring it to trial formally. So it's really important. And it got a lot of attention nationwide. And in fact, they actually had a three-page spread about this whole thing in the Boston Globe. So the man they found responsible for this poor woman's murder was... um. Portuguese immigrant named Jose Correa de Mayo. Uh, He was actually convicted in 1894 and he was found to not have actually been in the area of Fall River around the time of the Borden murder. So he was excluded from the suspect pool. During the trial, one of the main points and one of the main pieces of evidence was the hatchet head they found in the basement. Unfortunately, it was not demonstrated to be the murder weapon. They put it in evidence as the murder weapon, but it wasn't convincing enough. So there was enough reasonable doubt to disprove that it actually firmly was the murder weapon. So they basically said that you can't say this is this is For the murder sure weapon because the there's not weapon. enough evidence. Prosecutors argued, yeah, exactly. Prosecutors argued that the handle was removed because of the massive amounts of blood that were on it, but they never did determine that there was blood on the handle. Or not the handle, the hatchet head. So there was enough reasonable doubt to just prove that it firmly was a murder weapon. They also didn't find any bloody clothes, but their friend Alice Russell maintained for sure that she had seen Borden burn a dress in the kitchen stove, claiming to have ruined it with paint. And she was at the trial and testified this for sure on August 8th of 1893. Nobody actually challenged this, so this was a solid argument. Another point that was um, brought up was Borden's presence at the house. She was there. According to testimony, Maggie entered the second floor of the home at 10.58 a.m., and left Lizzie and Andrew alone downstairs. Lizzie told people at the time that she went into the barn for 20 minutes to half an hour, and there were two, I don't know if it was just like farmhands or just neighbors or somebody who saw her, but these two gentlemen testified that that they saw Lizzie leaving the barn at 11.03 a.m., and the other man confirmed this, so kind of conflicting statements here. At 11.10 a.m., Lizzie called Maggie downstairs because Andrew had been murdered! Exclamation point. But she ended up actually uh, sending Maggie to go get a doctor and didn't allow her to enter the room. Uh Oh? Yeah. So during the autopsy, both of the victims' heads had been removed and their skulls were entered into evidence. Which is fair enough. Mm -hmm. So, okay, this is dramatic and I love it. They were presented into evidence on June 5th, 1893, and when she saw them, Borden fainted. So dramatic. Yeah. Okay. So the argument, so remember when I said that she had gone to like a drugstore to get this specific acid? The argument that she did so was actually inadmissible by the judge because he called it too remote to have any connection. So, and finally, on June 20th of 1893, the jury was sent to deliberate. And they came back after an hour and a half. And the same day, Lizzie Borden was acquitted of the murders. Wow. Not guilty. 
Yep. Upon exiting the courthouse, she told reporters that she was, quote, the happiest woman in the world. Mm. Later, and it makes sense, so once I finish this statement, it will make sense to you, the trial had been compared to the trials of Bruno Hauptmann, Ethel and Julius Rosenberg, and O.J. Simpson in terms of pu publicity and public interest. Makes sense. Damn. And this brings us to the theories and further questions. So... Even though she was formally acquitted, she still actually remained pretty much in the public eye as the, the prime suspect. Right. So actually in 1967, uh, writer Victoria Lincoln proposed that Borden might have committed these murders while in a fugue state. And a fugue state is loose. So this is my loose definition of it as a dissociative state in order to escape from severe stress for hours, days or even weeks at a time. So. Perhaps. We don't know. So that was, you know, brought up later. That's a potential theory. So, I mean, I wrote the notes in a very uh, jumped around order, so don't mind me. So immediately fo following the trial, she and her sister Emma bought a new and bigger home that they called Maplecroft. And I'm not exactly sure in terms of distance where the two houses were, but it was not. It was still in like the wealthy part of town, the wealthy part of Fall River. Mm -hmm. uh, she also started calling her herself Lizbeth instead of Lizzie to try and kind of distance herself from the trial, which for me is kind of funky because usually when you do something like that, you're kind of trying to, so like you're this person. So I'm Lizbeth. That was Lizzie. And she's trying to distance herself from what happened in order to seem like innocent. You know what I mean? Like I can only compare it right now to like when YouTubers do something really scandalous or like inappropriate and they do their like fake ass apology videos and they're like, oh, I don't know who that person was. Like, I don't, I'm not that person and I don't, I hate that person. Like they're distancing themselves from their own actions mm -hmm. and trying to like make it seem like they're not the same person. They didn't actually have anything to do with this because they are different now. So that's kind of how it seems to me, but that's just me. So as I mentioned, she did a lot of like club and charity work before all of this happened and she dropped it all and just began attending theater performances in Boston. So around 1904 to 1905, uh, Lizzie Lizbeth and Emma actually had a falling out and they actually never spoke again after that. So before, so kind of in between this, between their falling out and their moving to the new house, they took a lot of pets in actually and um left part of their oh. estate to the animal rescue league at the time of oh no <laughs> i know at the time of lizzie's death <laughs> she was worth around two hundred fifty thousand dollars, or in 2019 money uh seven million well yeah so then back to like another motive potential quote unquote someone later suggested that andrew possibly had been sexually and physically abusing her which drove her to kill him, but there was very little evidentiary support of this. The only other argument for that was that incest wouldn't have been a topic of discussion during that time because it just, you wouldn't talk about that kind of stuff. So getting evidence of this would have been difficult, but they still really didn't find much evidence in terms of this. So that was mostly just speculation. Another theory that I have actually heard before is that Lizzie was in a love affair with Maggie Sullivan. This was made popular. Oh, shoot by a book called Lizzie, written by Ed McBain in 1984. And it actually offered 
the idea that Abby had caught them and had reacted with absolute disgust, which had caused Lizzie to actually kill Abby with a candlestick and not a hatchet. So then when Andrew came back to the house after his walk, she Lizzie uh, confessed, confessed to him, but he reacted the same way, which again caused Lizzie to um, kill him out of rage. And this actually, the um, so McBain speculates that actually Maggie had something to do with getting rid of the evidence. So he suggested that Maggie disposed of the hatchet herself, which honestly I can't say I disagree wholeheartedly with because who's to say nobody would really have talked about it back then i mean it's not impossible yeah it's not not at all because like you wouldn't talk about that kind of stuff you wouldn't talk about being in love with your mate especially if it was two women Mm -hmm. yeah so later on Borden had been had been rumored to be a lesbian but there was no actual speculation about this um for maggie and she ended up so maggie sullivan ended up finding a new job after the murders and married a man she had met in montana and that's where she remained for the rest of her life she actually later died in 1948 after (laughs) supposedly giving a deathbed confession to her sister she changed her testimony on the stand to protect borden so that's fun so you remember john morris yeah right so john the uncle yes the maternal uncle he was also considered a suspect for a time because he very actually rarely met with his in-laws after his sister's death, but he'd slept in the house the night before the murders happened. According to law enforcement, Morris had provided, quote, an absurdly perfect and over-detailed alibi for the death of Abby Borden. And again, had been a suspect for a little while. And then um, Maggie Sullivan was also a potential suspect. And the only motive for this was that she was ordered to clean windows on such a hot day that's it and i mean the day of the murders had been unusually hot and maggie had still not completely gotten over that weird illness that hit the whole house so she probably felt like absolute dumpster fire trash so they said that, that they think that she killed she could have killed them because they asked her to clean the windows yeah i but mean it's not impossible also- but it would be a little dramatic yeah that they're no actual like evidence support this supports this but i thought it was a fun suspect to throw in there because <laughs> i like the i like the lesbian love affair i i, I like the lesbian love affair. Yeah, i like that too low-key a little bit romantic too because like girls ladies go be happy you know just don't murder your whole family <laughs> oh absolutely awkward laughter because i don't know what yeah else to do i don't myself. do that all right so yep that's like theories and stuff but then later this is just kind of later in life for both the both the sisters they moved into Maplecroft they did have staff there including live-in maids a housekeeper and a coachman they're rich as fuck so it makes sense Mm -hmm. again so I said this before so because Abby died before Andrew did her estate went to him and as a result after his death the entire combined estate went to the sisters which also could have been a motive i mean as you would expect she was acquitted but she was still ostracized by fall river society i would too yeah Mm -hmm. so finally at the ripe old age of 66 lizzie borden died of so i actually saw a couple of things so for one thing said she died of pneumonia and the other said that she died after complications from getting her I believe it was gallbladder removed and she just her immune system was trashed so she got sick but she died in fall river massachusetts june 1st of 1927 her legend as an accused murderer is still strong and honestly in my opinion i believe that she did it i mean the evidence points to it and she had a reason several reasons 
So that's mm-hmm. just my opinion. That's just all speculation. And, you know, don't come for me. Uh, <laughs> Z Borden's ghost. Don't come for Kat. <laughs> or do. I don't give a fuck. What are you going to do? You don't have the means to hold a hatchet. Okay. So then actually, weirdly enough, Emma died a few days later after that in her nursing home in Newmarket, New Hampshire at the age of 76. In a weird twist, both sisters were buried next to Andrew and Abby in Oak Grove Cemetery. Oh, good. <laughs> whoever decided that didn't really read the room no no they did not so you know the house where the murders occurred still stands and it operates as a bed and breakfast i of course it does i I know i saw two um opposing years for when it actually opened i saw 1992 and 1996 so i can assume in between those years is when it opened up as a as a bed and breakfast and it still runs and operates today and actually so when it opened they the owners wanted to keep it as true to the period as they possibly could so the furniture that they had there is not the original furniture but it is almost nearly identical they keep they kept the wallpaper true to the time they kept the setup to the time and they actually now have like a bunch of pictures of lizzie and emma and um in the room where abby was murdered they have pictures of the crime scene and like in the room in the room where ruby they have pictures of him so this brings us to the spirits and the spooks so actually (laughs) i got a lot of my spooky information from the buzzfeed unsolved episode and i know it's not a funny case or situation but shane makes me laugh so hard every time so I was kind of laughing my way through it but little background when the house opened as a bed and breakfast the ownership fell under a woman named Martha McGinn who actually inherited the house from her grandparents who had purchased the home on August 4th of 1948 so according to McGinn the former guest room where Abby was killed is the most requested room for good reason Mm -hmm. Um, like I said they try to keep the house true to the original decor and setup which includes time appropriate furniture and wallpaper they like again don't have the original furniture but it's close so just a creepy fact there's a a portrait of lizzie that sits above the piano in the parlor love it love that again like i said i watched the buzzfeed unsolved about it and i was dying of laughter which is kind of not appropriate but like listen if you've ever watched buzzfeed unsolved those guys are fucking funny (laughs) As you would expect, Andrew and Abby's bedroom is a hot spot for activity. So again, Andrew was known for being frugal, so when people stay there or visit, they often leave coins on... In the video, it was a desk, but some people say it was a bureau. They leave coins on outside desk by his picture. If you take the money, people have reported being scratched. So in this video, naturally, Mr. Shane Madej himself uh, immediately took some coins and goes, quote, I want them to be upset with me. I stole from you. You hear me? (laughs) (laughs) He doesn't believe in ghosts and stuff. So that's why he's very. uh... So they actually like went in the house. Oh, yeah. They stayed stayed there. Mm -hmm. Yikes. So, yeah, he'll scratch at you if you try and take his money. But as long as you're respectful, generally you're Gucci. You're Gucci. The guest room that Abby was killed in is actually now known as the John V. Morse room or the murder room. On tours, um, the room actually has a binder full of pictures that previous guests have taken while they stayed there. One notable one is a man and his wife were staying there and took a picture because he woke up and saw a misty white figure on the opposite side of where his wife was sleeping. I'm trying to explain the picture. So the bed was... So, like, the bed is here, and then the mist is right here. It is a figure. Like, it looked like a figure. 
and that's a very notable picture that they have. Obviously, it's supposed supposedly Abby haunts the room, but I'm not. Sh I see it's really tricky because there actually wasn't a whole lot about the spooks. It's just general information, so it's like I I didn't find a whole ton of like detailed information per room, but I did my best. So there was no actual details on what happens in the room aside from seeing a figure. Ah, Lizzie's bedroom. She gets upset when you say the poem um mm -hmm. then you'll start hearing like bangs and like loud noises in there God. Um, shane and ryan actually did this and immediately i love when we talk about the hauntings immediately <laughs> they said it and then they whispered it and they heard an immediate like bang on like the door or the wall or something so really um, carly is so distressed right now <laughs> i know again i couldn't find a whole lot about what really happens in there but they a lot of people report feeling just really unsettled and really uncomfortable in there. Like they don't want to be mm. in there. They shouldn't be in there kind of thing. The other place, which is kind of bizarre because it doesn't really relate to like her room, but the attic slash Maggie Sullivan's old room. It is a room. You can stay there. But people have actually heard children giggling. Nope. Sometimes you'll feel a tug on your shirt oh. if you're there. Uh. And you can actually bribe them to leave you alone with toy offerings. Oh, God. Um, I really don't like that. I've said I this don't. before, but ghost children are the creepiest. Yeah, I know. Sometimes ghost children are actually a front and they're actually just demons because ghosts like to take the, or demons like to take the form of most innocent things to come off as unassuming and harmless. Well, you're not going to fool me, demons. So like animal, <laughs> the elderly or children. So love that. So honestly, again, generally through the house, you can feel something tugging on your clothes while on tours or staying as guests. <laughs> My favorite is that they've also claimed to hear someone or something whispering right in their ear. Oh, no. No. <laughs> or being that is touched, so awful. Or being touched by an unseen hand. <laughs> yeah. I really don't like that. I do. Me too. So, I, the last few incidents aren't really specific to any particular room, but I mean, if you all want to do your own research on it, feel free and let us know if there's uh, something that I missed, but I did my best and I looked at several different articles and it's really hard to find information on it. But to end that, um, the B&B is still active. You can still rent rooms at the house. And personally, I would fucking love to. So if anybody wants to come and stay with me at the Lizzie Borden house, I'm in. Yeah, she's talking to the uh, audience, not not me. No. Yeah, not me. I didn't want Sean to said cat. no too. Sean said no too. To, like, are you she's scared? A wonderful lady. But I will throat kick you if you try and beat me up. You're gonna throat kick a a, a ghost. Ghost. Yeah. That has yeah. no throat. Fuck. Gonna kick the child. Yeah. Like I know you, demon. Stay away from me, demons. Hey there, demons. It's me, ya boy. But I'll put the resources I used and the link to the BNB in the show notes. So if you are brave enough to stay, please uh, let us know. Or if you have stayed, let us know. Um, oh, absolutely. Weirdly enough, like I'm kind of upset that I didn't really get into this until the last five years, like true crime and paranormal stuff until the last five years, because I grew up in Massachusetts. And Fall River is not far from me. So I totally could have stayed if I wanted to. But unfortunately, I'm dumb of ass and don't. And Kat realizes she would be alone. Maybe not. I want to take a, I want to take a, a, oh shit, what's it called? I want to take one of those, <laughs> I can't remember what they're called, but it's like the voice boxes where it kind of, it sounds really. Oh, the. the uh, <laughs> like that. I want to take one of those. Mm -hmm. I want to record overnight 
and I want to. I mean, not a not a Ouija board, because no way am I fucking with that. I know better. Oh, I know better than that. But that like voice recorder, I want to do all of that. Oh, I do remember seeing like actual reviews of the B&B and somebody said that they went on a tour and then stayed over in the Morse room, the murder room where Abby was killed. And mm-hmm. they remembered like going to sleep, but waking up at like 3.05 AM, the witching hour. And there was somebody next door who had also been on the tour and stayed there who had one of those little like ghost apps, you know, the little dinky ones that you find on like um, Apple store. And they were doing like the ghost like scan thing and they heard a thump. And so both of them left their rooms and then their, their neighbor like came out with the app and said, I wasn't getting any activity in my room. Like I wasn't noticing anything. And then it went haywire when they walked into the murder room. Damn. I want to do it. I want to. I say now I talk big game and then I would probably just fucking piss myself. You know, you do talk big game, but I think you'd be good for a little bit. Yeah. And start to be a little too real. I'll, I'll wear my cross and I will hope for the best. I'll, I'll listen to like really memey music because nobody can fuck with me if I'm listening to like the Spongebob trap remix. Like, come on now. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Hey, shut up. Exactly oh, how do you I meant to show demons. you some autopsy pictures. Yes. Mm. So this is is abby jesus no andrews this is andrew i literally like can't even tell tell what oh that's his head yeah i was like i don't know what i'm looking at so that's andrew's skull well obviously we saw this one already there's the hatchet head and here is actually the sitting room as it looks today a lot of people are leaving like really i'm reading the reviews on the bnb and like a lot of people like said that the tours are like really awesome yeah can we at least go do a tour? So here's the house as it is today. Here's what it looks like. It's really pretty. Cute. I know, right? Here is, I believe... Abby's room. Abby's room, yep. Yeah. Here. So this is actually the attic. This is part of the attic where Maggie slept. But she does have a room. So this is, I believe, the master bedroom. There's a lot of, like, pop culture stuff about this case. There's a lot of, like, TV shows and movies and... It's it's really fascinating. Like so, this person said, "We visited the Lizzie Borden B and B on a Saturday in July 2020. We were led through our tour of the house by James Noonan. He was incredibly knowledgeable and had a fantastic sense of humor. Initially, I thought a two-hour tour was a bit long, but it went by so quickly because James had a wealth of information and stories that I was never aware of, despite being aware of Lizzie and the story for most of my life. I can't wait to get back and visit again. Also, we had a friendly ghost." in our third floor bedroom that kept moving a doll seated on a chair by our bed spooky and fun thank you for a visit we will never forget i want to go 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 so bad can we at least go on a tour please (sighs) please Uh, sorry it seems to be cutting out i'm going into a tunnel aileen will you go on a tour with me Maybe a daytime one. No, I. that's what I mean. Like, let's go into, like, Boston <laughs> and Fall River for a day, but we'd do the Lizzie Borden tour. Okay, I I, I would do a tour. Okay, that's all I'll I I'll just hang out at, um... You're not even gonna go on the tour? What is that? The Bell Bar. No, I'll hang out at Hennessy's. I'll pick that's, me up after you're done. Fall River isn't... Uh, Fall River <laughs> and Boston are not close. They're 50 minutes apart. 50? Mm-hmm. Perfect amount of time for me to get wasted. You won't even go on a daytime tour with us? I'll stay at Hennessy's. You won't even go on a daytime tour? No. 
What if you brought a bottle of holy water? Are you going to say vodka? No, I'm kidding. Drink one and then rub the other one all over my body. (laughs) Yeah, because I want to leave a coin in Andrew's room. You can leave a coin in Andrew's room. Come with us. All right, guys, I got a joke for you. All right. Oh, we didn't get, we didn't hop in any jokes this episode. I know. Carly's very distracted today. All right. My partner laughed at me when I told her I was making a bike out of macaroni. You should have seen her face when I... when I cycled pasta. pasta. Boo! <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. That was not okay, good. <laughs> you, both, you both just made the same noise. That was not good at all. <laughs> you know God. what you should do, Carly, is tell those mac and cheese jokes to Andrew and Abby Borden at the Borden house. Oh, you think I should? Uh-huh. Oh, at the house. Oh, yeah. I'll have to pick one that's up. That's uh, loaded already. Pause. Let's see. This one I don't understand, and I'll see if you guys understand it. A mummified macaroni pizza was uncovered in Italy today. The man who uncovered it says it's a pizza of our pasta. Oh, past. Pasta. Mm. Pasta. (laughs) It's part of our past. It's a pizza of our past. Boo! <laughs> you wanted to come up with more creative crappy... mac and cheese jokes. Why did the macaroni leave the party? Why? It was pasta his bedtime. <laughs> These are bad. That's why they're so good. Everything's better with cheese. Macaroni? Good. Macaroni and cheese? Gouda. <laughs> no! <laughs> oh no. Boo! Why did the bowl of pot of why did the bowl of macaroni go to the doctors? Why? To get his elbows checked out. Oh, Jesus. I will end this, I will end this call right Oh, now. Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> oh, Jesus. All right, listen. guys. My game's pretty off today. But listen, <laughs> I had mac and cheese. I gave a good review. Mm-hmm. I I think for the price of my mac and cheese, it was it was doable, but it wasn't great. Yeah, fair enough. Oh, I didn't rate my mac and cheese either. I uh, I liked the Annie's better. Mm. I would argue that Annie's Bob- is still the best, right? What'd you say? I said I would argue that Bob Evans is my favorite. Mm. Yeah, my Cracker Barrel was still That's the, the one best out of the ones were... that I've had. Um, yeah, my Panera one was definitely the best. Yeah, I think next time I go to the store, I'm going to try that one. The Panera Asiago oh, one. Have to. Because so it good. like the one that I had was good, but I just hated the vegetable flavor. So that was yeah. my own fault. It was Aileen. Yeah. I know. Stupid dumb Smack idiot. Your hand. <laughs> dummy. All right. Well, All right. Well, well uh hold on. Until firmly... next time. <laughs> I firmly follow us on Instagram at Murder Mystery Mac and Cheese. I firmly believe that nobody can fuck with you if you're listening to Mimi music because the vibes will be too garbage to even try. Follow us on Instagram. (laughs) So basically, follow us on Instagram. And uh, let us know your thoughts, questions, comments, concerns. We are here for all of it. Heck yeah. And again, you know, if you have any experience with the Lizzie Borden house, please let us know because we want to hear your stories and maybe we'll share them on the next episode. Okay, until next time. Peace out. Thanks for listening. Stay cheesy.